What's up, everybody? Uh, thanks so much for joining me again. Once again, it's your host, Alfred Faber. Uh, I'm a sound recorder, sound designer, and filmmaker here in God's country, uh, Sydney, Australia. And on this little old podcast, Sound Perspective, I like to interview soundies, directors, editors, other filmmakers and artists about how they collaborate in that glorious medium that is film. Now, today I have a super special guest. Uh, Ron Bartlett is a re-recording mixer in LA who works for the Formosa Group. He's got like 170 credits on IMDb or something, but some of my favorites include Us, Blade Runner 2049, Life of Pi, Prometheus, Tropic Thunder, um, it's insane. He's done it all. Um, as you'll hear in the coming interview, he was such a pleasure to talk to. A uh, really nice guy. Um, by the way, if you've got any feedback about the podcast, please do email me at contact at soundperspectivepodcast.com or leave me a review on the iTunes store. You can follow my socials at Sound Perspective on Facebook and on Instagram, I'm Alfie Faber Sound. I'm also on Twitter at Sound Perspect, but I keep forgetting to use that because no one really follows me. So hey, follow me on Twitter as well and maybe I'll actually start using it. By the way, again, sorry for the fairly inferior quality on this intro and on the interview. My indoor hypercardioid mic that I usually use for recording has broken and I still haven't sound treated the room of the new place I've moved into. So I'm having to use my Sennheiser 416, uh, which is famously bad for using in small boxy indoor rooms. Anyway, on to Ron. Hope you enjoyed the interview. Ron, how are you going? I'm doing good. Uh, <laughs> it's been a crazy time for everybody, but yeah. uh, I'm doing really good. Awesome. And um, so, Ron, tell me a bit about how you first got started in the biz. It's kind of odd because I came down to L.A. to be a drummer. Oh, really? Played, yeah. yeah. Played uh, in all kinds of situations from classical to jazz. to, And then I came down to L.A. and to be in rock bands, mm. which I did for a number of years. Um, but during that time, you know, I had odd jobs and whatever to keep going, you know, cause he's not getting paid as a musician, obviously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, my brother actually was working, uh, cutting picture and cutting sound, uh, at a few places. He says, Oh, you gotta, you know, be an assistant or something. You could make some money doing that. And it's job to job. So you could play gigs, you know, when you're off. I said, oh, that sounds pretty cool. So I came in and I learned what to do to be an assistant. And then I just kept doing that. And it was on film, you know, mm. at Canon Films, mm. working on like Chuck Norris movies and stuff. Oh, hectic. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I kind of got bored with being an assistant. Like, well, what are the editors doing? That sounds more creative. So yeah, uh, I learned about that and started, got hired to work as an editor and then uh, the same thing happened with that. I was like, well, you know, I bring all my tracks to get mixed. That'd be kind of fun. So I mm. started poking around at that. And, and uh, then finally got it. I was working at Weddington Productions. 
mm. with uh, Steve Flick and Mark Mangini, Richard Anderson. And they built a room in the back. It was a studio, a 24-track studio, and made it like a small dubbing stage. And so uh, they, uh, Steve Flick said, hey, you, you've worked in with bands and, you know, 24-track machines and all that stuff. I'm like, yeah. He says, why don't you go back and see if you can get something working back there? And I said, okay. So I started, you know, doing like small temp mixes and I started figuring out uh, the computer system, how I could cut, you know, off of quarter inch tapes onto 24 track and mm. triggering stuff. And yeah. it was a pretty wacky setup, but we made it work. <laughs> but I could do things that you couldn't do on mag, you know, yeah. by using console. And then that kind of, you know, steamrolled into mixing features and then i started working at todd ao and mm. and off it went mm. so you you made the transition uh into pro tools during your career it wasn't around when you started oh no it wasn't wasn't even sound tools all ah, right yeah so i used sound tools to uh i we had worked on an ep our band and we used sound tools to cut it together <laughs> with very crude and very small yeah yeah <laughs> on a mac 2fx <laughs> yeah so did, did you uh did you find that you ended up enjoying mixing more than cutting um yeah i enjoy both actually but uh i found mixing more creative and like really being able to put the whole thing together was, was a lot more fun. And, you know, I'm using a console and, and it just, you know, made more sense to me, you know, mm. sonically mm. from doing music and all that. Plus you could, you know, interface with the composers and mix their score. I was much more interested in that. Mm. And so did you find that uh, your experience in music carried over much to mixing? Oh, big time. Yeah. yeah. It helped me a lot. You know, mm. it's probably the reason that I'm any good at it at all is because I was in bands and all kinds of stuff and mm. musically. Because I would played in like symphonic orchestra and percussion and a lot of different situations. So uh, it wasn't just rock bands, but um, all of that helped from, you know, being a music major in college and learning to read, you know, classical scores and write things and music theory. All of that stuff helps all of it. So. Mm just gives uh, you an air does it like if, yeah it gives you a, a knowledge and a, a way to speak to people and the language that you're all talking about you know not only just sound but you know with the composer and musically what they had in mind or or if you're trying to cut cues together or do something you can oh that's the same key you just have a knowledge of what it's all about how it's put together and it mm. really really helps mm. um well, you're 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 basically the first exclusively re-recording mixer that I've talked to for the podcast. Uh, other people I've talked to have been um, like supervising sound editors who slash re-recording mixers, and I'm I believe that that's kind of because of the union laws in America. Is that right? That you have to have quite strict definitions between the different roles in sound post you know it, it used to be that way mm. and we had different locals even yeah you know, i was uh i was in 776 uh which was editors local mm. when i started mixing i had to join 695 to be a mixer mm. and if i and for a, a period i don't know two or three years i was going back and forth 
because I could still get jobs as an editor and maybe not mm. always get a job mixing. Mm. Uh, it was extremely hard to get into mixing back then. Right. And uh, you had to be in another local and the union paid different. I had two, two dues to pay for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they finally uh, put the two together yep. and, and now it's 700 mm. <clears throat> that we're all in. So it's, uh, I don't want to say it's blurred the lines. It's kind of brought us all together in that way. Right. Mm. Plus uh, the advent of using Pro Tools in everyone's job, not just editing, because it came up through editing, which is where I started using it as an editor. Mm. Um, then, uh, you know, when it when it came into mixers, they're using Pro Tools and the recorders, Pro Tools, and, you know, everything started to become more in the box and not on a console. Mm. That's when mixers really started to say, okay, I got to learn this. And mm. it, it kind of went both ways, like, mixers started editing and editing a little bit more on the stage when they mm. needed something and then you know there was a little you know tension there for a while with editors like <laughs> wait cutting my tracks and like well you're mixing my track because you're panning <laughs> right <clears throat> so it's a little crazy that way like yeah well that's what i was mixing. that's what i was curious about is how much editing you ever do whether you will sometimes like put in an effect or um, edit a track a bit or whether you're just mixing the session you get? Well, I try to be very respectful to the editors and mm. make sure that they know that, you know, we need them. They're very useful. They, they have their part, their job, you know, and I'm, cause I came from that. Mm. So I understand it. Um, I think a lot of sound editors know that I cut for, 10 years before I started mixing. So they know I'm a good editor and they feel comfortable with me dealing with their tracks. Um, a lot of times there's a time element where maybe the editor isn't even on the stage at that moment and I need something done. I just do it. Mm. You know, I know what I need. And, uh, and then other editors are fine. Oh, just go ahead do it. You know, cause they know I, I know what I want. I can do it quicker. Cause I'm, I'm right there. Mm. Uh, mm. I try not to step on anybody's toes. I don't want to do that or make them feel unwanted or it's not like that at all. Mm. Uh, but I do, uh, to be honest, I do quite a lot of editing while I'm mixing. Right. Right. Um, are there many people in America who do take on that both supervising sound editor and re-recording mixer role on projects? Or is it usually divided up into the specialists? It it started out being very divided. Yeah. Like extremely divided. Mm. And it was very, very few people that crossed over and did any of that. Mm. Uh, and then with the advent of Pro Tools and, and the union combining all of that, that really changed the rules and the accessibility. Mm. So when editors had the chance or the tools to do something before it hit the stage, then they started going, well, you know, I could pre-pan this or I could get the sound that I wanted if I EQ'd it this way and then mm. presented it. And then it was like, well, we don't have time, so we're just going to have the editors pre-pan everything and sort of mm. do this pre-dub, you know, that's not really a pre-dub. And then it turned into even more like, you know, some editors were pre-dubbing almost everything and we had to just start finaling. So it was a you know yeah <laughs> it's a yeah. slippery slope you know yeah. when you start doing that it's like okay mm. now 
they're feeling editors are feeling like they're having to do a lot more than they used to. Yeah. They're getting paid the same. Right. And then we're getting less time to mix it because it's already been done. You know, it's, it's a weird compromise. And I think they're, um, you know, the money people are saying, Oh, this is great. I can have <laughs> one guy do both jobs. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> that part I don't like at all. Yeah. Uh, taking away jobs is it's putting on more responsibility and they're mm. not paying extra for all of that. Mm. Yeah. So bit of a catch 22 there where yeah. it's not mm. well um am i right in saying in your bio that one of the first features you mixed was reservoir dogs yes right that would have been an interesting first step up <laughs> it wasn't the first film i mixed I yeah say, but yeah i'd probably mixed i don't know four or five films mm. before that at least yeah uh, but you know quentin came into weddington mm. uh with his producer uh, harvey Keitel, and they were looking for a place to mix mm. and edit you know they needed uh a sound job done incomplete so they uh found weddington i'm not sure how they found him but uh you know he'd always heard of all the movies we're doing and it was like oh man it'd be great to go there so they just came in and, and we're talking to Steve Flick and Steve said, well, you know, it's pretty low budget, but we can put something together. And, you know, this is first movie is very low budget. Yes. Um, we can put a, a skeleton crew together and get this done for you. And, mm. you know, we'll get, uh, it was Jeff Rubay and, and, uh, and then he'd get me to mix. And, uh, it was, it was a small crew. It was, it was like four of us, I think, did the whole movie. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Pretty crazy. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they came in and uh, it was literally in this tiny little studio. There was there was me, uh, Quentin, Sally Menke, the picture editor, and Lawrence Bender in the room, mm. all crammed together like shoulder to shoulder, <laughs> mixed away. <laughs> and I, people crack up when I tell them I mixed that whole movie with zero automation. Wow. It was on a thirty-two inch yeah. Harrison console. Wow. With with two 24 track machines and I was my own recordist. So when the reel was done, I literally got up, <clears throat> excuse me, and went out to the back and swapped tapes, toned up the recorder, patched it up and came back in. It's okay. Real soon. <laughs> oh my God. That's yeah. so crazy. Thinking, of, thinking that about a film that now has such, has had such a historical impact on the like, cinema landscape today oh yeah. yeah yeah so what was the kind of um vibe around quentin back then could you see him blowing up in the way that he did well you can never really predict that kind of thing yeah. but this guy had so much energy mm. and he was so passionate it was like there's no stopping this guy yeah you know, in a great way very mm. positive way. yeah you know, he was super cool and really excited to be there and he, he was just oozing passion of like oh my god i love doing this and he could just see the love of filmmaking in this guy from day one when i first met him mm. and it was super fun i loved working with him and uh he was asking me to do that you know you know when michael madsen walks in the room and into his office and they had the big tusks there and all that mm. he was, 
I really wanted to come in with this swagger and I, I don't like the sound of the footsteps we got there. They should be like, like cowboy boots or something <laughs> cool, you know, like really bring them in. I said, well, then we'll get you different shoes, you know, we'll swap yeah. them up and we'll fix it. And yeah. he's like, well, you know, there's this, you know, everybody's telling me to move on. I said, no, man, get what you want. Yeah. If it's a story point and all that, do it, you know? Mm. So we literally got some cowboy boots. We rewalked that little section and we put them in. He, he was like, this is great, you know? So it, you could see the level of detail and and what he wanted and the passion it was to get that. And I said, yeah, do it. Let's go. Mm. So that's, that's the kind of vibe we had. Yeah. That must've been a really exciting time to have been like <laughs> starting in film in LA. Cause it was kind of the heyday of kind of indie filmmaking, right? Or it was like when indie filmmaking was really starting in Hollywood. Yeah. I mean, it had started earlier, but it just wasn't, taking off and wasn't you know as you know prolific you know in the 80s it was kind of late 80s when that started to kick in or early 90s rather um so i started in 84 in the film business and then saw that progression to where we got into more indie you know it's, it's it goes in waves it goes from okay it's all studios and it goes to indie then it's back to studios mm. so i you know it's just whatever part of the wave you happen to catch yeah but uh I saw it kind of come in from strictly studio to mm. independent and then and back again. So, and we're still here. <laughs> <laughs> well, the next one I wanted to talk to you about is Blade Runner 2049, which is very close to my heart because uh, when I did, um, when I did sound at film school, uh, we were given like scenes of Blade Runner 2049 uh, with just the dialogue stems to work mm. with. And those were our assignments to uh, build up the Atmos and um, literally everything other than the dialogue. Um, and so that really made me appreciate the difficulty of like world building with... Um, with Atmos and just and background sounds and ambience, especially in a kind of sci-fi environment. So what was that film as a whole like to work with? That was a very special project that mm. uh, all of us working on it just absolutely loved being on the film. We were so excited from the first phone call I got, I'm like, yes, I'll do it. You know, absolutely. You know, super passionate, all of us. It was a truly a job done from the heart. So everyone brought their A game. It was a great crew, very handpicked, very, you know, everyone was top of their game. It was super fun to collaborate with everyone on that. Uh, and it comes from the you know director on down. Mm. Denis is such a great guy. And he's he probably loves- my favorite director, I'd say, yeah. Yeah, me too. You know, he's he's one of one of my favorites of all time that I've mm. gotten to work with. You know, I've been fortunate to have a few, but he's way way up the list. Yeah, <laughs> he's just great, and he he loves to he presents you the you know the picture and says, "Okay, this is what we're doing," and he just kind of waits to see 
how you react, what you want to bring to the table. And, you know, he wants you to bring your A game to it and see what, mm. you know, where you can take it. Uh, and then, of course, he'll tell you if, it, you know, we want to go this way or that way or, you know, I, I don't want it like that. You know, he'll he'll give his input, obviously. But he, he allows you to be creative and, and bring your opinions and, and thoughts and ideas into mm. it, which is such a great atmosphere because you feel like you really want to, do something with it and and give all your your best ideas and joe walker the picture editor is just fantastic mm. phenomenal editor he's also a composer uh has a very really? musical the picture yeah, editor very, oh yeah very cool. musical background yeah uh, so mixing music you know with him sitting behind me it was pretty awesome yeah we really uh got on you know everyone had a good time mm. uh, in school very fun in school my editing teacher um told me that heaps of editors are drummers and uh that was something that she'd seen in a lot of editors because it gave them a really strong understanding of uh like rhythm and the movement that's required for picture editing and that kind of stuff yeah absolutely speaking i'm a drummer so (laughs) (laughs) yeah very cool kid i like that (laughs) Yeah, um, but yeah, what I really like about Blade Runner is it's it's almost more of a drama than it is a sci-fi. Like it's there's so I feel like someone else working on that could have made it a lot quicker and could have moved through dialogue scenes a lot faster and brushed over that and made it a bit more genre heavy, but. Like the the drama yeah. between characters is so um, important to it, isn't it? The pacing is amazing, mm. and that's one of the biggest things that stands out to me. Like stood out to me when I saw it. Like, wow, they really gave you time to stop and think, mm. and you could read you know things into the characters' eyes, you know, and their acting and. The mood and the pacing, the pacing was fantastic. Everyone was like, oh, you got to speed this up. You got to cut this down. You got to get move this along. Mm. You know, it's like, no, we're mm. sticking to it. And it was really Denis and Joe that were, you know, steadfast in their, their approach and what they wanted and, uh, and allowed us to play in that playground of I have all this room to work with. And you weren't stuck with, you know, tons of quick dialogue that you can't put anything else around it. Mm. You know, so he gave us all this space to work with. It was fantastic. Mm. You know, all that said, it was crazy good. Mm. So, you know, it was fun to see someone bold enough to pull that off and do it yep. really well. Because mm. you could do that and be really bad at it and it would be boring. And you're like, come on, you know, move <laughs> it along. Not with him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> His imagery, the, everything. Yeah. Fantastic. And I, I know you've been asked about this in other interviews, but it's such an interesting aspect that I have to ask again. You um, were the mixer for the 2007 final cut of the first Blade Runner. So what yeah. what was the differences working on those two? Uh, well, for one is you've, you're working with old masters from an original mm. so you're pretty much limited to what you've got in front of you yeah uh, and and your goal there was not to be super creative and change things mm. it's it's more to uh 
make them sound even better if you can and clean things up. And, and, uh, the, our biggest goal there was to get rid of the narration, which was really hard because, mm, uh, right. Oh know, yeah. I forgot that that was, um, yeah, that was in the original. Yeah. Big challenge. Yeah. It's tough. Were they, were they like, um, in the same, was that not separated out? Not like it is today. Oh, right. Right. Not, so I a lot of times I was dealing with a printmaster. It was like I had everything, just one wow. one master. And then to get rid of that, I had to go to other masters that were tied. Like a lot of times I had a foreign mix, which no dialogue. It was just an M&E. Wow. Uh, so just music and effects. Yeah. And then dialogue came back in. I had to cross back into, you know, and there were different formats. Like the M&E was, was four channel, like LCRS, yeah. mono surround. And then you get a 5.1 of the rest, and then it would go back and forth. It was it was Good really hard. Grief. You try to so match were you, all the masters. Were you ever? Did you ever get to work with stems of like the different there, Atmos and stuff? Yeah, there were t- there were times when there was well, there's no Atmos on that. Mm. The original was uh, there. There had been 5.1. Oh, I don't mean Dolby Atmos. I mean the like. <clears throat> Uh, effects atmos there wasn't a separation of stems in any way oh no i mean oh, there was, wow. yeah. it was dialogue music and effects mm. but not all the time right yeah yeah it's a lot of times it was just a print master mm. you know certain sections because of the way it was archived the way it was mixed the, a lot of different reasons but what we ended up working with was very challenging, very limiting. Mm. Um, so it, but the creativity there was like how you would facilitate what Ridley wanted. He's like, okay, get rid of the dialogue here. I want the you know narration yeah. gone. We're coming back in here. I want this part to be a little different. You know, maybe the rain or what. You know, so it was really following his uh, guidance the whole way, mm. and us being able to put those pieces together mm. was the real challenge. Mm. And I got to you know go back to um, some of the masters on the music and, and, you know, remix it in a way, but I had to make it match, you know, the, the moves and the whole vibe of the original. So you don't want to go too far off that, mm. but you want to make it sound really nice. So yeah, I, tr- yeah. I try to keep it exactly as the original, only make it sound bigger, nicer, fuller, you know, whatever we could do. Mm. Uh, very interesting, very challenging in a in an archival way. Yeah. You know? yeah. So it couldn't have been any more different than Blade Runner. <laughs> where it's like, here's a wide open canvas, do everything. Yeah. Do. Yeah. You have all the tools you have, you know. Yeah. It's uh-huh. So different. Yeah. Um. Well, Ron, you have such an extensive catalog of films that you've worked on that I I didn't even really know where to start with questions because there's so many that I love but I kind of thought about the ones that I loved the most and something I saw something that really tied them together but this is a bit of a convoluted question so bear with me so something that ties all these movies together is that they're really interesting original genre films that are really original takes on the genre they sit in or they subvert the genre. So like us being a horror film, but it's about race relations and cabin in the woods being like meta horror and Tropic Thunder being like a pastiche 
the movie industry and like Blade Runner, um, je- the assassination of uh, Jesse James is kind of like a drama inside a Western. It focuses more on the drama. So is this a pattern that you've kind of recognized working on like really original genre films? And when you do it as a mixer, do you find something, a new way to express that genre or am I kind of looking at the wrong person to ask about that? That's a really interesting question. No one's ever asked anything like that. Um, I, to be honest, I never really put it all together in the way you just did of like the different movies I've worked on. I've, I obviously have realized that certain landmark ones were, Oh wow. That one's like a real groundbreaking or that one's, you know, very different. And, you know, I'm so lucky I get to work on that one. Mm. I didn't really look at it as a like a whole career type mm. of choice thing because it really wasn't a career mm. choice. Like yeah. you don't go out and get to pick those. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I guess you have worked on like nearly 200 films and that's just a select <laughs> pick of them. But yeah. I just thought those were my favorites. And I just wanted yeah. to hear your opinion on genre, basically. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been very fortunate to, to get the ones that I have, you know, like you're saying, it's almost 200 movies or whatever. And out of that, you get, you know, 10 or 20 that you love, you're doing really good because the odds are you're not going to work on those iconic movies every year, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully, but you never know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're a lot of times you're putting food on the table, so you got to get what you get. But um, I just so happy and very fortunate that I've gotten the ones I've got. Um, and they are the ones that you really feel most creative on and want to put in as much effort as possible to really push those boundaries. Uh, and, and usually with those movies, those are the kind of directors that allow you to do that and want you to do that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's super fun. Um, so, you know, those are the gigs you really look forward to, mm-hmm. you know, as far as, pushing genres it really it comes from the director you mm. know the creative people that are making it and what their idea is because our really our job is to follow their direction and put in our ideas as well but it's really to facilitate whatever story they're pushing mm. so just like you said in in uh blade runner where it's it's that drama within a sci-fi movie that's what we're going for is mm. to push that side of it. We're not there to make it all sci-fi and crazy, you know, there's moments of course, you know, with, you know, certain ships or a gun or whatever, you know, those types of things, but it's really down to what's pushing the story. Mm. And that's what we always focus on. So if it's Jesse James and it's, you know, there's another slow paced, very, you know, deliberate type of movie. So we purposely don't, fill it up with a bunch of stuff you know you create really nice environments you know, super clean dialogue and you you let the actors pace that out and that's what you do with those kind of movies and that's how you approach them mm-hmm. uh, a movie like uh, fifth element or something that's more crazy and wacky and really fun and you can put all kinds of stuff in there and it's just you know heightens the 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 chaos and the craziness mm. that that movie brings, which I loved, you know, mm. I, 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 that one I mixed sound effects on. All right. Um, yeah. 
so it, it varies through movies are talking about what mm. I did. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, all of those movies are the ones you named. I love, like, I, I'm happy that you picked, uh, Jesse James. Cause that hardly anyone got to see that, which is a bummer. Really? But that, that's one of the, our great sound jobs that, uh, my partner Doug and I mixed mm. that we think about like, man, that one sounded so good. Richard yeah. King did the sound on it. Oh really? I mean, he was yeah. editor. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Oh, I didn't, I didn't realize that. Yeah. I hadn't watched it until um, the other day in preparation for this. And yeah, I was just blown away. I love, um, I loved Andrew Dominic's other films. So I'm really glad I like put in the time to watch that one. He's a real character, that guy. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but to that movie, uh, he didn't want any pre-dubs done. He wanted to have everything at his fingertips when we finaled. So we literally really? just started final mixing. We never oh, wow. pre So it was like all the tracks. There you go. You know, so we had hundreds and hundreds of tracks laying in front of you to mix, including the score. So it was literally like piece every scene together from nothing. Wow. On, you know, there's no prep work. Yeah. And how, um, so how long did that take you? How long did you spend on that? That was a normal amount. Like, oh, I think okay, I, right. But we just took all the pre-dub time and made it final time. Mm, mm. So, you know. And um, was his intention with that so that he could kind of have, be there for the whole thing, for the whole mix and not miss any of the mixing time? Uh, partially that and, and a little bit of, I don't want to say paranoia, but it's more like I, I want to have control of everything. Yeah. Is yeah. Yeah. You know, he, he didn't want us making decisions without him. Right. Right. He's a, he's a bit of an auto type character. I'd say, yeah. I mean, he mm. really uh, had a specific idea and mm. very opinionated and wanted things a certain way and, uh, and, and very stubborn, you know, mm. in a good way that you, you want someone to have a vision and do their thing. You know, mm. does it go a little too far sometimes? Maybe, but you know, <laughs> he's the director. So yeah. you follow, you, do you get what he, and he turned out a great movie with a great track. Yeah. So you can't really argue with that, but yeah, he's, he's a tough character sometimes, you know, when he, he wants a certain thing, yeah. you're not going to out of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, there's not, there's not one loop line in that entire movie. No ADR, not one. There's group ADR. Oh yeah, background, yeah. but principal characters, not one line. Wow. At one point, we had one little line of Brad Pitt when he's sitting at the table, and he goes, "Yep," like that, and he took it out. He goes, "Now there's no loops." <laughs> he literally just took every wow. loop out. Wow! Yeah. Wow! Um. Did you was there much like cleaning up to do then on the dialogue? Was this, was that a lot of work or was it like perfect enough that you could just go with it? I gotta say, uh, Bruce Cowardine was the production mixer, mm. did a phenomenal job of mm. recording that. It was one of the best tracks I've got. I mean, he was really good. Mm. Um, are there, t yeah, there's times we had to clean stuff up like every movie. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and whether you use a lab or a boom and all that sort of things that you normally do. Um, but I was amazed that on a period piece like that, 
when you're outside, you're not getting planes and helicopters and whatever else. And you're out in the forest with the guys, you know, that's tough. That's mm. really tough location work to do. Yeah. So hats off to him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, another director I wanted to quickly ask about is, um, Peter Weir, because I actually, I interviewed him for the podcast. Um, and you worked with him on the, the way back. Yes. Yeah. So what was, what was he like to work with? Just an absolute gentleman. Mm, mm. Oh, very nice, isn't he? I I have so much respect for that man. Yeah. Both both as a person and Mm. creatively as a director, I could not say enough about him. He's he's one of also one of my very favorite people that Mm. I've gotten to work with, and I wish he would make another movie. (laughs) (laughs) So, Peter, if you hear this, go make another movie. (laughs) We really want to work on it. Yeah, <laughs> that was a special time because uh, our sound crew all flew down to Sydney. Really, to mix it for you guys worked on it at Sydney. Yeah, oh yeah, right, we flew down and uh, stayed there for whatever it was, five six weeks, and mm. uh, mixed the whole thing down there with him, and uh, just had a phenomenal time. Mm. I have a whole bunch of relatives in Australia. Oh, cool! It was so fun to be able to meet them. Some of them I'd never met. All right. Uh, a lot of them I had met, you know, in passing, but to go to their place and see them and spend time was so great. It was mm. a little sight. Yeah. <laughs> but working with Peter, oh my God, just great. You know, very, very calm, very artistic, uh, very thoughtful. Mm. Uh, and he would, you'd ask him a question, he would think about it instead of just answering right away. And uh, he was, he was so kind. Like you know, uh, my partner Doug said. Peter, I got this great idea. I wanted to take this in here and put that out, you know, move this over here. What do you think about that? And he's, well, Doug, let's put a pin in that. (laughs) uh, What I'd like to do is to, (laughs) we laugh about it now because it was, he just totally blew him off, but in the most nicest, respectful way. It was so great. (laughs) We just crack up about it every, still to this day. It's so good. Yeah. That's cool. Well, um, great, great directors give you great quotes like that. Like Denis, (laughs) Blade Runner, just uh, so funny. We're mixing the seawall scene, right? Oh, yeah. The fight with the the, uh, shuttles and all that stuff in the ocean. Big waves crashing. It's all noisy. Everybody's fighting and all that. And it comes time to the dialogue. So my partner, being very respectful, starts to calm down the ocean and pull out stuff to give room for dialogue and make it more about them and kind of isolate them and do all these sorts of things. Did this, all this great moves. And it was like very artfully done. And, uh, Denis, let me play this for you. <laughs> we play it and he goes, well, Doug, it's a little too blue lagoon. <laughs> <laughs> I could have busted out laughing. I couldn't you know, I was laughing so hard. I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> Doug just looked at me and goes, Got it. <laughs> so he wanted it vicious, did he? And huh? He wanted it vicious. And... Yeah, he wanted it. You know, keep the dystopian, mm. angry, you know, gritty atmosphere going. You know, mm. that's the vibe. And so Doug just like, I know exactly what you want, and here we go. And he put mm. it right back and made it all like he still carved for dialogue, but he made it in a much different mood, which yeah. is awesome. Mm. And Denise like. 
perfect. You know, mm. his, his great quote is, if you get something right, says, I deeply love that. And then you <laughs> never touch it. <laughs> it's so great. That's or great. Play something. What about this sound? He goes, oh, that's a great sound, but not in my movie. <laughs> I respect it, just not not here. <laughs> great, great sound. Not in my movie. Like, all right, just doesn't fit. That's all. But he liked it. Yeah. <laughs> he and um, you would have. So you worked with Hans Zimmer on that film. Was yes. um, was he as a composer ever involved in mixing? Did he ever sit in on the mix? Uh, he came to playbacks, but he was not right. there on a day a basis right um it was really uh ben wallfish and hans right and and uh, uh ben was a little more involved during the mix but he he also came to playbacks and not like day-to-day kind of things mm. uh, he was so busy because uh you know they had a different composer uh and then decided to make a change and so they had very little time to put that whole track together mm. uh, Hans, you know, wrote some themes and, and worked on some of the synth sounds. And then Ben really did the meat and potatoes work, putting all the cues together. You know, it was a lot to take on in a short amount of time. Mm. Uh, so they were just send tracks to me. And um, and they didn't do it in a very traditional way, I'd say. Mm. There was obviously some mixing that happened in his place, but they didn't go through a whole scoring engineer mixing everything here's all your you know 711 stems you know it wasn't really like that mm. uh, and they purposely uh designed it to be a little overbuilt so that denis could listen to sounds and and trade things in and out or sculpt things the way he wanted simply because there wasn't as much time to sit with the composers and deal with that beforehand mm. so um what we got were a lot of two-track uh recording so it's all left right uh, and there was maybe one or two five ones um and so we really literally like went through each one i'd play each sound and uh denis would pick the ones he liked and ones he didn't like and mm-hmm. so i really liked this by he loved the cs80 on you know, the yamaha uh, the older synth sounds mm-hmm. uh just like the original blade runner so he wanted to keep that vibe going Mm. Uh, so we really leaned on those and we didn't use like the, some of the newer like Omnisphere and other types of uh, synth sounds. We've shied away from those and went with the the more original type sounds. Mm. Um, so on the stage, we really put these cues together in that way, took all of Ben's and Hans's work and and sculpted what we what Denis really wanted out of those. And then I repositioned them all in Atmos and mixed each cue like that. Mm, wow a lot of work but really creative and really fun to do Mm. so i really enjoyed it and it gave us so much you know flexibility that i had all you know i have like 20 different sounds to play with and and spatially Mm. put them in places and it was super fun i I was a little worried like oh man i'm doing a lot to this you know yeah Mm. excuse me but uh you know ben and hans were very complimentary and loved it so it was all good you know but that's a pretty rare situation yeah well uh before i before i leave you ron the last thing i wanted to touch on is um are you 
are you into Dune yet at all? Has that started for you? It did. Uh, I did a temp mix on it, mm. and uh, we did about I think it was four days or something, mm. a quick uh, temp mix. And uh, they weren't hadn't finished shooting. They had some additional photography that they had planned, but didn't do yet. But mm. wanted to see where it was at and get the whole thing together and be able to play it as mm. a movie. So we got together uh, a few months ago. It was before the whole thing, uh, the COVID thing started. Mm. Uh, so we did this temp and uh, went through the whole movie. And and uh, I, I can't say anything about it, mm. but it was really fun to work with. Yeah, uh, work on if that gives you a hit. Uh, I really dug it. It was yeah. super fun, and it was great getting the same band back together. Yeah, yeah. You know, same people, same groove, and yeah, uh, super creative. It was great. Mm, mm. So in that regard, it'll be the same quality, if I could say that much. <laughs> That's so exciting! I wish I could. I wish I could know more about it, but I'm just excited to see it. Just you very will excited. soon. You call me back when I'm able to talk to you about it. Hell yeah! <laughs> well, uh, Ron, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Um, yeah. What do you? What do you got coming up in the next week or two? Well, I keep trying to finish Jungle Cruise. So that one is coming up. We actually almost finished it. It's six reels. We finished five reels. We needed mm. to do the last reel and then do all the masters and the screen, all that stuff. And, you know, COVID happened, pulled the plug, and now we're like stuck in limbo. Mm. And we keep waiting for things. to. we're about to start next week. And now they may push a week or two. I don't know. We'll see. Mm. Uh, so I need to get back and just finish that one off. That's a big blockbuster type of movie for this year. Mm. Uh, hopefully we'll get it done. <laughs> you know, uh, then yeah. there's, uh, Christmas Chronicles with uh, um, Kurt Russell. And mm. uh, it's a Chris, Chris Columbus project. Mm. Uh, and let's see. Of course, Dune. Mm. Uh, would be uh, towards you know, a few months from now and, you know, towards the end of the year. Mm. Um, there's also, we're, we're supposed to do uh, Morbius as the Spider-Man villain. Oh, right, right. Cool, cool. We're still waiting on dates for a lot of things. There's a lot of schedules mm. pushing and conflicting. And, yeah. and it's very... So you can't, <clears throat> um, you can't use any of the like Atmos mixing rooms at the moment. Are they, are they all shut? In various degrees, some are open, some aren't, uh, mm. you can, uh, I know there's some mixing going on. Like they mix tenant at Warner brothers. Oh yeah. Uh, and, uh, Kong and Godzilla that was there. Uh, but in very limited capacity, like only so many people to the stage. Right. Yeah. Everyone wears masks and all that. When I went to Chaos Walking, there was only five of us on the stage. We all had masks on the entire day wow. and very separate. You know, everyone's, you know, at least six feet apart and lots of hand sanitizer everywhere. So it was very controlled, very careful. You know, mm. they did a great job of, you know, making people safe and still working. Uh, my room that I'm sitting in right now is uh, 7.1. Mm. I'm planning on making it at most this week, actually. Oh, cool. Very cool. Nice. I will be able to do more work at home. I'm mixing a documentary on Gustavo Dudamel right now. Right. Cool. cool, cool. So that's that's going to be great. Uh, and I'm doing it in Atmos. So I'm nice. hearing it in a 7-1, you know, fold down right Damn. now. Yeah. And then I'll 
take it to uh, Formosa and, and finish it in Admirals. Hectic. Awesome. Well, thank yeah. you so much for your time, Ron. It was great sure. chatting. Yeah, Have really a good fun. one, man. Thank you. Thanks again to Ron for making some time to come on the podcast. Hopefully, we'll be hearing from him again in another couple of months uh, whenever June comes out. Um, he said he'd be happy to come on and chat about that film when it's done. I'm so, so excited for that. Anyway, as usual, sound design and music was done by John David Legoulon. Thanks, JD. Uh, catch you next time. <laughs>